0: Well here, I get to speak to you this morning. How many of you had no choice? (laughs) Pretty much all of you. All right, well. This is, uh, th- this is an honor to speak to a group of distinguished and intelligent and knowledgeable students. I, uh, I was not a model student. I know that surprises you, like most of you, uh, are, you are a model, model student, but I played hooky a couple of times. My mother actually said to me one day, um, did you miss school yesterday? I said, not one bit, which was true. I didn't miss a thing about it. Um, But I'm glad you're here. You are here. You have chosen wisely. You are at Prairie. You're wise and discerning in your choices of schools. Truly, I believe that. You're smack dab in the middle of where God would have you. Uh, As I travel, I'm meeting alumni all over the place and they will say to me, invariably, I will hear these words, four best years of my life. Uh, One guy said seven best years of my life. He was part of a slower group, apparently. But this faculty and staff, they love you, they pray for you. Do you know that? It's true. So tell your friends, go home and bring back about three others. We can fit them in here. It won't be a problem. Before I get going, I just—I need to say this, that uh, someone came to me and said, why did Mark get you to do this? You know, and... I have no idea, Mark. Um, The guy said, well, you're Mr. Humorist, Mr. Funny Guy. Uh, This resurrection and the life topic is pretty serious. And they were right, Mark, I have no idea. Why did you ask me? You can tell me later. But let's make the best of it together, okay? I promise I will not be long-winded this morning. It's like Henry VIII told his fifth wife, Catherine, I won't be keeping you long. Does that sound okay? How many of you have not got that yet? You still aren't getting that joke. This morning, the truth before us is absolutely transforming. I wanna show you, before I get going, a a, a picture of my grandkids, because on January 1st, we all gather, we get them all slicked up, dressed well, big smiles on their faces, and perfectly, we sit them there, and we get a professional photographer to take pictures. And uh, here they are. That's basically our kids. Eight grandkids in three years. It's just ridiculous. It's chaotic. And now our daughter-in-law has Egyptian flu. She's gonna be a mommy. And uh, that's the way it goes. How many did not get that? Man, come on. Was it the election? Was it? Huh? I had a guy telling me this morning how horrible this is. You know what I said? I said, ask not what is this world coming to but consider what has come to this world. That's what we're gonna celebrate this morning. In about the middle is a little girl with a little bit of green on. Her name is and one of the lesser characters in, in uh, Lord of the Rings, and she loves me to read to her. She will sit for hours with me reading her stories, and she wants Aladdin a lot. This drives me nuts, but I read it, Aladdin. So I like to insert things into stories that aren't there. <laughs> Grandparenting is fun. You let the parents deal with it. When Aladdin first encounters encounters the genie, I told her the very first genie joke she's ever heard. I had Aladdin say, uh, my first wish, uh, I want a fur coat. The genie asks, what fur? And Aladdin says, fur to keep me warm. That's what fur? (laughs) She's four. She kind of looks at me. And then she starts to grin, and I almost think that perhaps... She sort of came close to getting that joke, her very first joke. And she looked at me, she said, Bumpa, you're funny. And she said, I'm gonna keep you. Four years of age. Isn't that cool? Kids, you never know what they're gonna say. One mom took her child to to a a funeral, and and I tell you, you better be prepared if you do this. When the casket came in, the funeral, the two-year-old said loudly for everybody to hear, Grandma's hiding. And then she started singing Spider Pig. <laughs> a mom told her child that grandpa died and the child said this, I'm not surprised. His body didn't look like it would last much longer. <laughs> Kids, you never know. I am a borderline golfaholic. A few of you have golfed with me. I see Dr. Angie's here. The one golf joke I hear more than any other is about a funeral. You've heard it, I'll bet. It's a terrible joke, horrible. So let me tell it to you. A guy and his friend are playing golf. The guy is about to chip onto the green and suddenly he stops and he looks and there's a funeral procession coming slowly past the golf course. He sets his club down, he removes his cap, he puts his hand over his heart and he bows as if in prayer and his friend can't believe it. This is a new side to him. He says, wow, I had no idea. You are such a kind man, you're such a gentleman. And the guy said, well, it's the least I can do. I was married to her for 43 years. That's terrible. That's terrible. Don't you guys be telling that joke. It's ridiculous. Please. I just it was just a bad example I wanted to give you. Alex and Kyle had been friends for years. Alex had done very well in ministry and Kyle in business. And when Kyle told him that he had plans to launch in a new location, a new business, uh, it, it, it was really cool. Uh, it, Alex thought, I gotta do something. So he phoned up a florist and he got them to, to bring a, a large a, a floral arrangement. He said, just put my name on the top and underneath something appropriate. It's the opening of this new location. Oh, cool. So Wednesday morning, Alex goes to the grand opening, and there are lots of well-wishers and balloons and and, and donuts and and bouquets, and he finds his, and his name's at the top, and he's just thrilled. He's looking at this, wow, cool, hoping people see how big it is, how much money he spent, and then at the bottom is a a banner, and it says, rest in peace. (laughs) What? He's mad, he's ticked. He grabs his phone, goes outside, phones the florist. What is the deal? What have you done? You don't put a funeral wreath at a grand opening of a new business. And the florist, there's just silence and then he starts to cry. He says, you think you have problems? Think of me. Out there somewhere is a funeral with a bouquet of flowers that has a banner. I wish you all the best in your hot new location. Wow. Well, thank God the Bible has more to say about death than I wish you all the best in your hot new location, right? (laughs) Today, we are gonna look together at John 11 at a funeral recorded there. It's the funeral of Lazarus. This is a powerful account that reveals to us the heart of the gospel and truth that brings comfort and great, great joy. It is my prayer, I've been praying with my wife for a week that this would be a morning that you remember that you remember because of Jesus and what he has done, the abundant life he came to give us. Now, Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus. They were buddies. He lived in Bethany with his sister Mary and his other sister Martha, who was a good cook. If you know your Bible, she was rarely out of the kitchen. You couldn't get her out of there. And Lazarus just stayed. I mean, why wouldn't you? You'd stay with your sisters who cook. You wouldn't leave, you're a single guy. That's all you need. Mary had long hair. We know this because she would later pour expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wipe the the hair, thus incurring uh, the, the, the perfume, incurring the wrath of Judas, whose wrath you did not want to incur. Am I right? Judas was very noble and very concerned that money be spent on the poor, not on perfume. Actually, he couldn't care two hoots about the poor, could he? He was a thief and a snitch but that's not the core of our story. The sisters were concerned. Lazarus was sick, possibly from Mary's cooking, we don't know. She might've been learning, we don't know that. I'm adding that, that's not in the text. But they sent word to Jesus who was across the Jordan where his cousin John had baptized first people, uh, the first people that he baptized, that's where he was. Jesus got this message and he said, this sickness will be an occasion to show God's glory. And then he does nothing. Well, I'm sure he was doing something very significant, but he didn't go anywhere. He stayed there for two more days before he said this to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. They said, "Uh, Rabbi, you're going back there? Uh Uh-uh. You can't do that. The Jews are out to kill you. They just tried to arrest you, but you slipped through their fingers again. How do you do that? (laughs) He smiled, I'm sure. He said, let's go to him. You're about to be given new grounds for believing. Thomas spoke up. Remember Thomas? He was the guy that sat at the back of their their committee meetings, you know, going, I I doubt it. I doubt it. You know, that was Thomas, remember? By the way, when I get to heaven, I want to see Thomas. I want to talk to Thomas. He's going to be there without a doubt. Don't you think? (laughs) Thomas said to his companions, come. Come. We might as well die with him. Peter likely said, guys, if Thomas says this, let's get going. And so they did. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem on the southeast slope of the Mount of Olives. Trust me, it is quite a hike from where they were. Now, according to the Jewish sacred text, Leviticus, Rabbah 18.1, how many have read that? Okay, you're lying. A person's soul was present with the body for three days. For three days after, it says, after the death, the soul hovers over the body intending to re-enter it. Very interesting, Uh, but not central to our story. I just threw that in there so your professors would think I knew something. Um, (laughs) When they arrived, Lazarus was already how many days dead? He was four days dead. He was very dead, though being dead is a little like being pregnant. I mean, either you are or you aren't, but he was very dead. Jesus does not waltz onto the scene and say, hey, hey, don't worry, don't worry. I'm gonna gonna raise him up. No. Martha meets him and she is weeping. So are friends and family. Master, she says, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, your brother will be raised up. She said, oh, I know that. He'll be raised up on the last day, the last times. But Jesus takes her by surprise. This is what he says. I am The resurrection and the life. What? I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she says. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, Mary is next. She was probably, the text says she was back home, maybe in the kitchen learning to cook. I don't know. But she falls at Jesus' feet sobbing. And then the words, Jesus wept. That's John eleven thirty-five. 35. This was my favorite memory verse as a child. Jesus wept. Wasn't it yours? I mean, it was the only time I got A plus in Prairie Elementary School here in Three Hills. Uh, yeah, Bible memory. Through the years, those two words have come to mean more and more to me as we've gone through stuff. Remember this when you're struggling, that we have a God who weeps, my friend, who cares, who is with us, a God who entered our world to redeem it, to bring beautiful things out of busted things, to bring us life through his death. But why did he weep now? Have you wondered that? He wept not for Lazarus. Spoiler alert, he was about to raise him. Why did he weep? You know, scholars debate this. They debate a lot of things. Theories abound. But I wonder if he was considering the road ahead, the road to the cross, the reality of sin's destruction, the brokenness it causes the people that he loves. Jesus stands before a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone against it. Remove the stone, he says. Martha says, Master, That's the Greek, I think. (laughs) He's been dead four days. The the King James says, he stinketh. (laughs) And he doth, right? He doth. Jesus looks her in the eye. Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? To the others, he says, go ahead. Take away the stone. Is that a foreshadowing of something else? Jesus raises his eyes to heaven, he prays, and then he shouts, Lazarus, come out! You know, it's a good thing that he specified Lazarus, don't you think? (laughs) Huh? Have you ever thought of this? I mean, don't you think everybody on the entire hillside would have come out of those tombs? Lazarus, come out! What else could Lazarus do when the voice that spoke the stars into space and the world into existence The voice that calmed the sea, the voice that called you and called me, spoke his name. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out, all wrapped up. Ever pictured that? (laughs) How do you get over there? Unwrap him, said Jesus. Let him loose. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes on me will never die. Do you believe? No, I'm asking you, do you believe? Apparently not. Do you believe? Yes. I don't know many more skeptical than than myself. Uh, I doubt. I am a man of little faith. The resurrection troubled me for decades. It's not real normal, you know, this rising from the dead. Have you realized that? Have you tried it (laughs) on people around you? Yet I've done enough reading and reasoning to find the evidence for the claims of the resurrection to be most compelling. Three years ago, we were in Hawaii suffering for the Lord, there, and a man came up to me and he said this to me. Have you ever had this happen? This is the only time it's happened to me. He said, hi, I'm Jesus. I said, really? Wonderful, I've wanted to meet you all my life. And he kind of looked at me, he said, I'm, I'm Jesus. I said, um, have you been risen from the dead? He said, yes. I said, do you have friends that can corroborate that? And he just blinked and he walked away. <laughs> it's a substantial claim to make. If you're going to make it, you should be able to back that up. Have you ever filled out an accident insurance claim? I hope you haven't yet. I hope you never do. Here are some filed with insurance companies. I'm not making any of these up. The car in front hit the pedestrian, but he got up so I hit him again. (laughs) I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. If you have been driving that long, my friend, pull over, get some rest. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law and headed over the embankment. May you never have that mother-in-law. I was on my way to the doctor with rear-end trouble when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. I love, that is a classic. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. And the last one, the pedestrian ran for the pavement, but I got him. Whoa! outrageous claims, don't you think? Yeah. Few are quite as outrageous as the claims of North Korea's former dictator, Kim Jong-il. You're old enough to remember when he was around, some of you. There was nothing this guy could not do. Absolutely remarkable. Official records claim that Kim learned to walk at three weeks. He was talking at eight weeks. Most impressive. He wrote 1,500 books in three years. I have written Something like 28 in 26 years, but this guy was amazing. 1,500 books, three years, and six full operas, which are quote, better than any in the history of music. The first time Kim picked up a golf club, he shot a 38 under par on North Korea's only golf course, including 11 holes in one. Wow, each of his 17 bodyguards verified this. And he then decided to retire from the sport forever, which is a very good idea if you make that claim. His minions also claimed that a double rainbow and a glowing new star appeared in the heavens to herald his birth. Don't know where he got that idea. On North Korea's cherished Bakdu Mountain in 1942. Unfortunately, Soviet records indicate he was born in a Siberian village the year before. Oops, busted. But the most outrageous claim in history is this, that Jesus God's son was buried and raised to life. Do you believe? Do you believe? A doctor whose entire family was killed in a car crash saw me on TV, sent me an email, tracked me down to ask if the story of this God could be true. And we talked on on the phone later, and this is what he said. He said, it all hinges on the resurrection. This is a smart guy. I told him, you know, I'm a writer. I write nonfiction books, but fiction is a lot easier. I've written two novels. It's a whole lot easier because you can can get details wrong. You can change names and faces and whatever you want. But if you get one tiny detail in a story wrong in a nonfiction book, people let you know you're busted. I told him about 1 Corinthians. It was written by Paul just 20 to 25 years after Jesus' death. So Paul could never, never get away with publishing his own eyewitness account and claims that the risen Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time, unless it was true. Most of them were still alive. A remarkable thing to consider. Kim Jong-il's bodyguards did not die, insisting he shot 38 under par. Not a one of them. Only Jesus had followers who went to their graves because they insisted that he had been resurrected. Why would they do this? Only one reason makes any sense at all. They had seen him risen. If you doubt me, try a little experiment. At my father's graveside, a very odd thought hit me, and, and, uh, but I'll confess it to you, but you're all my friends. What would it take to convince people in the town of Three Hills that my father had risen from the dead? What would you do? Where would you start? Sorry, friends. It's impossible. If you doubt me, try faking a resurrection in your hometown and let me know how it goes. I am sometimes asked, what is the funniest joke ever? Who gets asked these things? This is not fair. You can't do this. I have people asking me, will you make me laugh? One lady said, I've had a very tough day. Would you make me laugh? And I said, honey, don't say that to me. It's very difficult uh, being a, a humorist. I, you were supposed to laugh, but anyway, uh, sorry. <laughs> I told a joke two years ago that made people laugh here. Some of you were here. I, I said to my wife, honey, I'm, I'm getting so old. I don't even know what to wear now. What do I wear, boxers or briefs? She said, oh, it depends. (laughs) But the greatest punchline in all of history surely is this, that a holy God loves the likes of me. Isn't it remarkable? He would rather die than live without you. And like Jesus, we will be raised to live with him forever. In the history of claims, this is the most outrageous, the most compelling, the most transforming, and the most life-giving. A Muslim in Africa became a Christian. When a friend asked why, he answered, suppose you were going down a road and you came to a fork and didn't know which way to go. There you met two men, one dead, one alive. Which one would you ask to show you the way? My wife and I have stood at the garden tomb in Jerusalem. It says on the door, he is not here for he is risen. Do I get an amen on that? Amen. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. He also said, I am the life. One chapter earlier, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. What does that mean? When I was a kid, I didn't think of life when I thought of Christians. Some were cranky. Have you met a cranky Christian? My fifth grade teacher, Ms. Ida Weissmuller, she said, There's a bus leaving in 10 minutes, Calloway. Be under it. <laughs> I thought Joyful Christian was an oxymoron like Jumbo Shrimp and military intelligence. And <laughs> Microsoft works. <laughs> there, I might get an amen there. Life. I thought it was God's will that I be miserable. Have you ever felt that way? You wonder what'll happen? You give your life to God and he's gonna take it. He would have me break my hockey sticks, play flute in the orchestra. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And marry the homely buck tooth girl in the front row who kept squealing on me. And we would serve God together in Africa in complete misery. Among cannibals who would keep feeding me and sizing me up until I was buff enough to provide them some lunch. That's what I thought. God came that I might have life right. But it's true, Romans 1.17, the person in right standing before God by trusting him really lives, not just in the future, now. What does that promise of abundant life look like? In 1984, my wife and I went to see a movie called The Killing Fields, the graphic account of the Cambodian genocide under the brutal regime of Pol Pot and his Khmer Rouge. It left two million dead. As the credits rolled, John Lennon's song came on, Imagine, imagine there's no heaven, no hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. I was your age and I sat there and the thought hit me Isn't that what we just saw? This is what happens when people buy into Satan's plan, his wonderful plan for your life. He came to kill, to steal, to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's John 10, 10. That's a rich and satisfying life. Have you ever wondered why why early Christianity exploded in Rome? how it grew from 8% to almost 50% of the empire. Certainly no other religion or culture offered offered people a personal loving relationship with the savior, with the creator or salvation through grace. But another captivating reason was the plagues. People watched Christians suffer. They saw their love. In AD 165, the first plague arrived. It lasted 15 years. Another spread like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire in 251 AD, devastating, especially the cities, but sometimes it was worse in the town, the populations were depleted so badly. During this plague, 5,000 a day were dying when Rome was a city of about a million. That is 155,000 dying per month. 25 to 30% of the Roman Empire was wiped out The plague spread by contact. So the privileged, the doctors, the rich got out of dodge. Even families abandoned their own, but the Christians stayed. It was their belief in the resurrection, their belief in another world that made them invaluable to this one. It was the truth of the resurrection that helped them stay, that helped them thrive. When you abandon sick people, they die. The death rate skyrockets. Christians, unafraid of death, did not abandon the sick. Their death rate was only one third that of the pagans around them. I'm not using that disparagingly. That's what they were called. In the face of death, thousands of unbelievers witnessed their joy firsthand and saw that the only plausible answer to pain and suffering comes from a God who entered into it. Psalm 126 two, talks about what happened when God freed the captives. It says, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues were songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. And that is what happened in Rome, and that is what can happen in Canada. The Romans saw what joy and hope looked like, and there were unprecedented conversions. This is the kingdom upside down. Was it part of the Christian's plan to take over the Roman Empire, as someone said? No, it's called love. They saw it in the one they followed, the one who showed the way, the one who said, in this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought the most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. I am the resurrection and the life. The abundant life is one of great joy in pain and great hope in Christ. Know that Christ has taken the sting out of death and offered us hope beyond the grave. Thanks to Huntington's disease and cancer, my wife and I have stood by the caskets of five immediate family members in one year. And it is not an easy thing for the believer. We grieve, let it go, grieve my friends. Yet indescribable peace and joy and hope have filled our lives. The hope that one day we will see them again. What is our response when we hear, I am the resurrection and the life? It's three things, unending gratitude, Unending gratitude for what Christ has done. The world's religions are all about doing, doing, doing. Do, do, do. There's a lot of do, do out there, my friends. (laughs) Christianity is about what has been done on the cross by our Savior. Unending gratitude, unfaltering courage. In this world, you will have trouble. Be courageous, says the HCSB. Unfaltering courage. And thirdly, unconditional love. We live other-centered lives, loving those with whom we disagree. Is that possible in the wake of an election? Yes, it is. We owe our allegiance first and foremost to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Love those with whom you disagree. Easy to say, hard to do. We are believers, we must do it. During a trip to Israel, we had a Swedish guide at the Garden Tomb. He had a great sense of humor, which I think makes sense when you're celebrating Easter at least five days a week, as he was. Celebrating the fact that you're forgiven, that eternity is waiting. He said this to us. I have never forgotten his words. Each year, 300,000 people come to this spot to see something that isn't here. We were going past the graveyard out here out of three hills when my son was five. He pointed out the window, there was a hole dug in the ground, a pile of dirt beside it. He said, dad, look, one got out. (laughs) And the more I thought about his words, the more I hung on to them because that is our ultimate reason for hope and for joy this morning. One got out. Jesus Christ is risen. I do not know what you face as you leave here this morning. Don't know what's going on back home, but I know there is one who enters your pain. Jesus, one God out. Philippians 1, 9, and 10 says this. And this is my prayer for you, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Jesus Christ. One God out. Would you stand to your feet with me? There's one who will face it with you this morning. He'll give you strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. The one who got out. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.